Once in a while in every person's life, big decisions are made that define them and their age. Sometimes it's whether a nation goes to war against an oppressive dictator. Sometimes it's simply whether you're going to get married or whether you're going to stay single for the rest of your life. Big decisions we all face. Sometimes, I know many people in this room who had to pack up and move country for a better life. Those are big decisions that define your life. Now, Ireland is at one of those defining moments in its history, considering whether to remove the constitutional protection of the unborn. Now, many of our decisions in life turn out to be wrong, which is why so many people carry shame and guilt and sorrow. And I know that this generation, if it votes to take away the constitutional protection, this generation will regret it. There is no way they could live with themselves with joy. But there are some decisions that bring no shame and carry no guilt. And I have to apologize. The devil's in the electronics. If it flickers, just look at me. Amen. Like the decision to follow Jesus. Do you remember that day where you decided, I will follow? John chapter 1 and verse 43, just to emphasize in those words, Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 43. Bible says this, that the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and he findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Chapter 10, verse 27, just very briefly, chapter 10 and verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow, and I know them, and they follow me. John chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 26. John 12, 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If you follow me, I, you're going with me all the way. And if any man serve me, him will my father one day honor. John chapter 13, last one, John 13, 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. Now that's a good thing. <clears throat> Peter said, Wherever you're going, I want to be there. And Jesus said, You can't go where I'm going. I'm going to a cross, I'm going to a grave. You can't follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. So this, this thing of following Jesus is a lifelong effort, isn't it? It's a lifelong choice that we made when we got born again. But it's not only the decision to follow Jesus that I, I've never regretted. I'm saved 37, going on 38 years. I've never regretted one second of it. But like the decision to stand for life either. <clears throat> as far as hard as we're fighting, and the guys were out yesterday putting up posters and replacing some of the posters and things, we'll never regret the amount of time that we're putting in on this issue. We won't. But I want to tell you that there is a side to life that sometimes you've got to make up your mind which side you're on. And uh, to most people, making that decision is very offensive. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to deal with it. Well, I want to talk about it. I want to deal with it this morning. Isaiah chapter 8, very briefly. Uh, Isaiah chapter 8, give you the background on um, the rock here. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Isaiah, middle of your Bible, turn right after Psalms and get to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. It's amazing. This is where I was reading <clears throat> this week, and I thought, oh, that'd make a ni nice thought. And I couldn't escape it. So this is the message for today. Isaiah chapter 8, let's just read verse 13 to 17. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. Sanctify means Make him holy. Make him, make him most important in your life. And let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. Let that sink in for a minute. 
If you're afraid of your friends and you're afraid of media and you're afraid of what people say about you, you're fearing the wrong thing. Let him be your fear. Let him be what you worry about. And he shall be for a sanctuary. You ever hear of a, a wildlife sanctuary? You know what a wildlife sanctuary is, don't you? It's a place of safety. If you let him be your only focus, the only person you worry about, you found a place of safety then. He'll be for us. Oh, he'll not only be for a sanctuary, but also a stone of, what's that next word? That's our key thought here. And for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and snared and be taken. So bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. That's you. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face right now from the house of Jacob. And I will look for him. Go to chapter 28, still in Isaiah, chapter 28, verse 16. <clears throat> Isaiah 28, and verse 16. Here's this phrase, this thought repeated, Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And he that believeth shall not make haste as if to say, won't well, run for the life, but will actually find safety. Folks, Zion was Jerusalem a long time ago. It was one of the names that they applied to, to Jerusalem. And it was in a mess, spiritually, economically, politically, in every way and fashion form, Jerusalem was on the way down. And in Isaiah's day, it was at a crossroad. It was facing not just decisions, but the consequences of decisions, the consequences of their, of their beliefs, the consequences of the way they lived were coming home. And they had to make some, they had, they, they had to get help. They needed, to, they needed something to happen. And God described how he would change the outcome, which is really cool. God didn't say, I'll give you a great army. God didn't say, I will rain lightning from the sky against your enemies. God said, I'm going to give you a rock. I'm going to give you a big stone. I'm going to put a boulder right in the middle of your path, and I'm going to make you trip over it. I'm going to make it so that, I'm going to make it so that you have to be broken or be broken. We'll talk about that play on words in just a moment. So he describes them not being able to march off into victory, but to fall to their knees in humiliation. He says, I lay in Israel a chief cornerstone. That's a big, important rock that, that's at the corner, and it lays out how the rest of the house is going to be laid out. He's elect. He's chosen. You know what those words are, are talking about? The Messiah. All these people talking about the elect, the elect. They forget the elect. The elect was Jesus Christ. He's the one that was chosen by God. Now, I'm in the elect because I got born again, amen? I got grafted in. I was adopted into the family. But I have nothing to boast about that I'm any good or I have any place in this thing. He's the good. He's the stone. But don't get this idea that he's like the rock of Gibraltar. He's so awesome. He's so muscular like Eric. His wife, your wife gave me the picture, I guarantee you. Anyway. <clears throat> No, don't get this idea. No, he's not like that. He is an offensive stone. He's a stumbling stone. He is not there to make you feel better. So when you come to church and things don't make, him, don't make you feel all good, as, a, as an old preacher named um, Billy Sunday used to say, if you feel like the cat that is being, turn, being petted backwards, you know what Billy Sunday said? Turn the cat around. 
I'm not changing the direction of the Word of God for you just because it doesn't make you feel good. And Jesus didn't change the Old Testament. Jesus didn't change the justice of God, the wrath of God, the righteousness of God. He said, turn the cat around. When you face the stone and it offends you, you're the problem. We don't like that. Uh, but pastor, I, I, thought, I thought church was supposed to make me feel better. It will. After you stumble a little bit, after you get offended and you realize the problem is in my heart, Father, we come before you and ask you now to <clears throat> humble us. Turn us around so that we're on the right side of the rock. So that we get excited about the fact that we've been embarrassed, that we rejoice that we've been broken, that we, that we thank you that you humbled us. Because that's the only way a person gets saved. That's the only way a person ever, ever, ever gets the Spirit of God in their life. There is no pride. There is no no success, there is no accomplishment, there is only surrender and defeat at the foot of the cross. Lord, I pray that every person in this room is on the right side of the cross. Yeah, if somebody's in here looking down on it, embarrassed of Bible preaching, embarrassed of an old King James Bible, embarrassed of hymns, embarrassed of Christians, they've got the wrong idea because that's what Christianity is. It's embarrassing but it saves, and it, and it gives life. It just works. So Lord, bless these thoughts to your people this morning and save somebody. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a rock. I'm going to preach about a rock this morning. Hmm. Um, how, because how we respond to the truth about that rock defines our lives, and it defines our future, and it defines our nation. And really, Ireland, as, as was said, Ireland is not a religious nation. Uh, uh, honestly, if it, if it had any religion, you would have thought that they would not even be voting on this thing. But yeah, something happened. We know all the stuff's going on. Uh, but folks, let me just tell you this. This is not a religious issue. This is a heart issue. And the only person that can fix the heart is Jesus Christ. And when people want to terminate and end and abort a living baby in the womb, there are some deep problems. So what we need to do is we need to help society get on the right side of the rock. Let's get on to this. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 2, where we're going to try to race this morning. I noticed uh, um, Maeve was, was doing a good job at racing as fast as she could. I appreciate um, her being here. What a gift, amen. You know, just you need somebody to just make you uncomfortable, make you aware. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, what we left behind. Chapter 2, verse 1. I don't want to upset this thing. I don't know what the thing is wrong. We'll keep filling with it. Chapter 2, verse 1, wherefore? Laying aside all, look at this, this list. He just lists five things. He could have gone on and on and on, but he looks at, he says, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. As Christians, the moment we decided, to, we decided to follow Jesus Christ, we abandoned the mindset and the attitude of offending others. Do you hear what I said? You know, when you have malice, you have the desire to get even. <laughs> you don't care if you hurt them. You just want to make sure you hurt them, amen, that have hurt you. We replace it with God taking care of them. Somebody hurts you and you say, Lord, I put it in your hands. I'm not going to have malice in my heart towards anybody. Amen. 
You find that easy? No. The Christian has left behind malice. You know why most people are under pressure? Because they're constantly thinking about what they can do, what they can say to get them somebody else back for hurting them. Uh, he lists over there guile. Guile is lying. We use the word beguiling when somebody's, you know, luring you and tricking you. But you know what a Christian does? A Christian decides to live real, painfully honest to people. You know why Christians aren't going to be the most popular people? You know why? Because we're boring. Because we don't have a lot of mystique about us. We're just plain Janes. We're just, this is who we are, amen? And I make no bones. I don't try to be offensive. I don't want to wear my hair spiked up at like the, what are they, Jed and Fred and Led, whatever their name was. Uh, I, I don't try to have an image. I'm just me, amen? I'm just honest who I am. I'm just honest about what I say, what I believe. I have no hidden agendas. I hope you know that. And you know what? As a Christian, your family ought to know, yeah, oh, Celine, well, she's a little boring ever since she started going to that church. You don't find her a little tipsy anymore. You don't find her um, uh, spending a thousand euros in the gambling halls. He didn't do that before. Don't worry. But anyway, we're painfully honest about our boringness. People go, and they move on. No longer are we full of hypocrisy. And wouldn't that be a good thing to actually say, man, I'm tired and I'm finished with living double life. I'm tired of being a Christian on Sunday and then a pagan on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We put that behind us. We leave it behind. Envies? You know what envies are, don't you? That's when you, you are not content with what you've got. You see everybody else. They got, I'm looking around. I see 181 cars everywhere. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> the Christian looks in and he goes, I am content with what we have. Amen. That's the victory of the Christian life. The Christian life doesn't live in, in, to show off or to live in offense to anybody else. Our life has been changed in the heart and no longer are there evil speakings. Wow, that's where it hits us. We, you know, before you got saved and probably a little while after you got saved, you spent a lot of time tearing people down. Maybe it was last week, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, as a Christian, we don't tear others down now anymore. We left that behind. That's what Paul, uh, Peter says. Wherefore, laying aside, like taking off the old clothes, when, um, when uh, blind Bartimaeus heard Jesus call to him and says, Bartimaeus, he, he wants you to come. You know what he did? He took off those old rags and he ran up. Jesus says, can I have my sight? He was ready for new clothes. And when you got saved, the Lord asked you to dump the old life and to say, I'm ready for a new life. That's what we left behind. Now, <clears throat> that brings us to another thought. The question is why? Why be, what could possibly be good enough to keep us from living like everyone else around? Because we found something much better. We actually found three things better. Look at verse 2. As newborn babes desire, first thing is the sincere milk of the word. Speaking of a baby, I don't have one of those little baby things here, but as soon as a baby's born, that baby wants mama and milk. You know, at first you get born, you want the milk of the word. You gravitate to it. If this book doesn't interest you, I wonder, did you get saved? Because that's milk, man. You say, I don't understand it. The baby didn't understand what was going on. It just knew I needed it, amen? So <clears throat> the first thing is sincere milk of the word of God. You don't have to turn to the dregs of drink and alcohol anymore. You don't need the buzz of a high-caffeine energy drink. But you turn to the healthy truths that are marvelously contained in one book you can hold in your hand. Amen. I asked one guy. He was preparing for Maynooth. He was preparing for 
the priesthood, and I said, what do you have to know to know what it means to be a Christian? He said, 135 volumes, 135 books. I said, I got one book. And the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for, for instruction in righteousness. I'm missing one part. There's a fourth one in there. Uh, that the man of God may be perfect. That's all I need, amen? Uh, I found something much better than all of the stuff you pick up with RT Guide and, and things that you, you see on, the, uh, on Netflix and on the movies and on the Facebook and stuff. I found the book that, that gives life, man. Secondly, the grace. Look at what goes on there in verse 3. Uh, if so be that you've tasted the Lord is gracious. I love that word grace. I don't think there are many words as good as grace, amen? Grace is God's kindness to us. It gives us a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth, amen? That's what grace does. It keeps picking us up when we fall. It's, grace enables us to be filled with God when we're usually full of ourselves. <clears throat> that grace is amazing. It's all sufficient, life-changing. If only you taste it. Have you tasted that grace? And the third thing is, the third thing that's better than anything else that I used to keep in my old life, that keep in my old locker uh, of my brain where I used to bring out that and live in envy or, or bring out those evil words and that evil sharp tongue, I got a stone. He goes on there, verse, two, verse 4, to whom coming? To the Lord as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men. Oh, they killed him. Didn't want him. Still don't. But he was chosen of God and precious. And he also, his lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Here, um, uh, a stone, a rock, can make all the difference in the world. That's a pretty good swap. That's a pretty good swap. I swap my attitudes and my, my old way of thinking, my old way of treating other people, living offensive and being offended. I don't want to go back to that. That doesn't mean you're not going to be offended. It doesn't mean you're going to say things perfectly all the time, but I don't want to live that way. And I got the word of God, I got the grace of God, and I've got the son of God. I think it's a pretty good swap. Would you agree? So Peter tells us I'm not ashamed in this chapter. And if you look here, he just gives us some things to not be ashamed of here that are just amazing. Look back in verse, uh, chapter 1 in verse 23. Just go back there for a minute. I'm not ashamed of the rock that humbled and saved me. Look at chapter 1 and verse 23. Being born again. How many of you are born again this morning? Raise your hands. You're proud of it. Amen. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You say, Pastor, that Bible, it offends me. That Bible cuts me. That Bible humbles me. Amen. You're born again by the book. Look at chapter 2 and verse 2. I read it there, but I want you to see as newborn babes. How'd you get to be a newborn babe? Here's an old man named Nicodemus coming up to Jesus, trying to butter him up, saying to him, you're the best teacher I ever heard. You're, you must be from God. And, and what did Jesus' first words out of his mouth? Buddy, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus saying, when are you going to go back into my mama's womb? And, and he's saying, no, no, but you got to be born all over on the inside. you got to start completely over, and you'll be a brand new baby on the inside. And it, and it takes the Word of God, and it, if you think, well, you know, I'll come to God on my own terms, you won't ever come to God. I'll come to God when everything's right, you'll go to hell. 
well, you know, I'll, 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 I'll finally get things right and I'll come to God and I'll show him all that I've done and he won't pay attention to you one second. You come to him broken, lost, defeated, and ruined. That's how you come. You know what Peter was? Peter was a loud, arrogant, haughty, um, uh, proud fisherman who he, uh, the most embarrassing days of his life was when he had to come home with no fish. And he never wanted to admit it. And uh, <clears throat> uh, Peter, uh, sitting there, I mean, he's ready to swipe a sword. He's ready to fight. He's got, he's got an attitude. Hey, it's not evil, but he's just, he's just not this great saint that everybody thinks he was. And here he is. And you know what it took Jesus? You know what it took for Jesus to do? To humble him and say, you're going to deny me. And you're going to deny me twice, and you're going to deny me three times, and on the third time, you're going to blaspheme my very name. And Peter said, I would never do that. And it humbled him. It broke him. The rock broke him, didn't it? <clears throat> it took that, folks. And if you think, you know, I come to church here, I know how to sing a hymn. I know how to find a Isaiah in the Bible. You know what it's going to take? You being absolutely embarrassed out of your mind, and you being so ashamed of your sin, and being caught and being defeated in your own attempts to live for God before you finally say, now I'm ready to get saved. Amen. Amen. He's a rock of offense, and everybody needs him. <clears throat> uh, he's, uh, Peter says, I'm not afraid, to see, afraid, I'm not ashamed of the foundation I'm built upon now. Now, <clears throat> I'll show you, uh, I read that verse, and I don't have time, but I'll go to 1 Corinthians 3. If you hold your place here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three and verse 11. We, we read a little while ago in Isaiah 28, it said that I lay in Zion a foundation stone, something that you build on. You know, if you lay a foundation, that's not where you live. You live in the house that's built upon the foundation, amen? And Jesus Christ is our foundation. Chapter three, first Corinthians three eleven. for other foundation can no man lay than that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter's glad for the foundation. Um, I, have, I have been a Christian for almost 38 years. I have not moved from religion to religion. I have not moved from new doctrine to newer doctrine. You know, uh, somebody was describing it. Every ship that came through always came into our church. And I don't want ships in our church. I want Jesus Christ in our church. Um... I was introduced to the, to the rock, Jesus, and it is there that I want to stay. Everything I do now, I want to build on him. The sands of time shift, the storms blow, the earth moves, but the foundations remain sure. Listen to Luke chapter 6. It says, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the floods came, the stream beat vehemently upon the, the house and could not shake it. Why? Because it was well built? Because it was founded upon a rock. And Peter, you find Peter standing up there preaching to those tens of thousands of Jews who in a moment want to kill him. But he stood up there with no fear, and he stood up there and he says, my life from now on is built upon the rock. He was not ashamed of the foundation that built his life. Third, he was not ashamed of the life of worship and praise that he lives now. Back there in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you notice, I'm trying to put you in there. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. 
says, ye also now as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You don't need any more priests. You are one. An holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, Peter here is bragging on the fact that he gets to be a lively stone. Now, you know what the difference between lively and living, don't you? You may have a living dog, but a lively dog is better. Amen? And there are plenty of you who are living, but it should be nice if you got lively. Amen? Christianity is not about you being stuck on a, on a wall somewhere or just sitting in a pew somewhere. It's about action and activity and, and, and serving the Lord and working for the Lord. And, and, and praising the Lord, even when it hurts. You and I are a house of worship. You don't have to come here to worship. Sunday we do, because it's the Lord's day. We gather together, we assemble together, because the Bible commands us. But you don't dare wait to worship the Lord until Sunday. You now, at work, you ought to, here's Celine. Celine comes to the office there, and she's volunteering, and, and nothing's going on. It's all quiet, and all of a sudden, Celine starts singing. Now, sometimes it's Christmas songs, and it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but there ought to be joy at work. Everybody, what you hear, you know, um, uh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful, wonderful? We were singing that earlier, hours ago when we started church, remember? We were singing that thing, you know, Sunday afternoon, you might remember that. Monday at work, you might remember that. You're going up there to get the coffee. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? People will pull back from you, man. <laughs> Worship, man. We were saved to praise the Lord. Peter wasn't ashamed of that. Don't you be ashamed. You know, the one thing that broke him and humbled him was the fact that he got ashamed of Jesus. Amen? He got ashamed of the fact that Jesus turned himself in, that Jesus let those crooks um, uh, bind him and drag him before what he knew would be mock trials. And he watched that and he says, that's not my Savior. And he turned his back on Jesus and he cursed his name and it hit him and it broke him. And after the resurrection, he determined, I'm never going to be ashamed of Jesus again. Amen. Never be ashamed of the life of worship. You know, that's why we have church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and on Wednesday night. And if you say, oh, I couldn't be caught going to church twice, what? Why don't you just stay then? Amen. <laughs> Nobody see you sneaking out and then coming back. Just stay. No, the point is this. Never be ashamed. Do not let this world rob you of the joy that you got at salvation. And remember, your, your praise sometimes is a sacrifice. You just want to jump off the cliff. You just want to quit. So you praise God anyway. Fourth. Never be ashamed of the perfect laws you live by now. Not by the Old Testament laws, but the laws of the Bible are amazing. Look there in uh, chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, God's word. Now, when Peter's writing that, <clears throat> most of the word was still the Old Testament. He wasn't saying only, you know, look for the words of Jesus. No, love the milk of the word. Look at verse 6. Wherefore also is it contained in the Scripture, going back to Isaiah 28 and Isaiah chapter 8, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth, chapter 2, verse 6, He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, Jesus is what? He's precious. But unto them which be disobedient on the other side of the stone, 
The stone which the builders disallowed, that same stone is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even of them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. You know, Peter's kind of glad for the Bible. The world can mock and reject and disobey the words of this book. I tell you, I have so many people who come up and, and as I try to show them the Bible, I open up the Bible, they go, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Is that the only verse you know? My goodness. But you know, that verse is one of the most important truths applied to the law. An eye for an eye simply means that the judgment against a crime needs to match the crime. So if somebody steals a, a pack of chewing gum, they should not go to prison. Amen? You understand? An eye for an eye. That's all he was teaching, but everybody can only quote that. Judge not lest he be judged. Good night. They have no idea of the life that's in this book and the protection that is in the rules that are in this book. Not in a church. A church doesn't have rules. You know who has rules? The Spirit of God and the Word of God. And, and wow, what a great thing. I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts because I seek to live by your laws, God. You want to be sane? You want to be able to go to sleep at night? Do things God's way. And Peter, you know what? I think it's really great. Some of these things bear out. We don't have time, but Peter got caught, dragged into prison. He was put in an innermost cell. He had four groups of four soldiers protecting him. You know what he's doing inside that cell, waiting to die the next day? You know what he's doing? Sleeping. Could you sleep if you knew you were going to die tomorrow? You know why Peter did? He's done everything right. He's just doing things like God's way, and he says, I leave it to God. I'm going to go ahead and go to give me a good night's sleep. Amen? I wish you knew how perfect that book was. I wish you knew how good and how wonderful, even though you don't understand them all, it just does something for you. Fifthly, of the decisions you make as a Christian now. I'm glad the devil's not able to shut it down. Just stay with me. Chapter 2 and verse 9. <clears throat> Still in 1 Peter 2, 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, I have decided to do the hard things, like to no longer live for myself, but to live for the Lord. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, that's Jesus, then we're all dead. And that he, Jesus, died for all, that they which now live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Folks, I've decided to no longer live for myself. Now, that's a battle because I, I want to, but I've decided I live for Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of that. You know what that means? That means when I get to choose, when I can choose between whether I'm going to give to a cause or give to the church and I, can, uh, uh, and, and I want, and I want uh, uh, something else, I choose to do right. I now make choices based on, am I doing this for God or for me? The decisions I make as a Christian, the world look at you and go, you are weird. The decisions you make as a Christian now are going to set you out from the crowd. The Bible calls it being peculiar. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you don't color your hair every other week. Don't be ashamed of the fact you have a King James Bible. Don't be ashamed of the fact you go to church that still sings the old hymns. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you decide that Sunday's the Lord's Day. Don't be ashamed of the fact you decided to stay with the one woman for the rest of your life. 
Don't be ashamed of the fact that you haven't poisoned your husband yet. Don't be ashamed of the fact that at any point that as you decide things and you say, I don't know if I made the right decision, but I knew I was trying to do it for the Lord, don't ever be ashamed of it. Don't ever be ashamed of it. Peter says, I'm peculiar. Even Paul thought Peter was peculiar, okay? Don't worry. Number six, all that I've left behind, looking, I already read it there in verse one, but I just had to throw this in. Do you miss the lying? Do you, remember, do you miss remembering the lies that you told? And having to remember, well, what lie did I tell Celine? I wonder if I told a different lie to Lily. Aren't you glad to put that behind you? Would you ever be ashamed of no longer lying? I couldn't be ashamed of that. Peter's saying, put it away and never pick it up again. And you should never be ashamed of the fact, I just don't lie. Somebody catches me at something, you know what I say? You're right, I'm sorry. Amen. That's taking responsibility. That's owning up to it. Instead of, oh, well, my wife made me do it. <laughs> All that you left behind, the lying, the envies, the bitterness, the anger, the hypocrisies, the defeated life, I wouldn't go back. I don't miss any of it. Don't miss any of it. Number seven of the battles that you face. Look in verse, chapter 5 and verse 8, just quickly. First, chapter, first Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Some people in this room, you've had some battles. You've had some battles with health and with money and with family. You've had battles. But listen, you've got an enemy who wants to ruin you. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, I love this part, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after, ye, after that ye have what? I wanted to read after I've been blessed for a while. <laughs> Don't you want that? To, that's how it should read. But God didn't write it that way. After ye have suffered a while, then he'll make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We have a deadly enemy. Our battles are common to every believer. Whatever you're going through, somebody else is going through it too. But you know, afflictions, different degrees of troubles, they're okay. You know why? Because all the good things that lay ahead. You know, I, my life may not be much, but have you ever heard this? But the retirement features and uh, the, um, uh, what is it, you retire and then you... Can't think of that word. I thought I could think of it, huh? Say again? The pension plan? Well, no, pension plan's not working now either. Uh, but anyway, my future is bright. Honestly, the car can break down. I pray over it every morning. Um, things go wrong, whatever. You may not be able to rub two pennies together, but folks, I stay going. We stay faithful, and we're not ashamed because we know it's going to turn out okay. Amen? Honestly. Peter's writing here, and we don't have time. I'm skipping a lot of good stuff, but I just want you to see that Peter's not ashamed, amen? He's not ashamed of that rock. He's not ashamed of how he was humbled and broken. He's not ashamed of it being written in the Bible, and we're still reading it 2,000 years later. Would you like it if somebody wrote down your worst day and then kept reading it over and over and over? Peter has to live with that. He's not ashamed of that. He's not ashamed of any of that stuff, as a matter of fact. What do we come to? We've only come to one and one thing only, and that is a living stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not an idol. 
He's not a, he's not a, a religion. He's not a church. He's a rock. He's a rock that will break you so that you can be saved. And you know, if he broke me, I think he wants to change me and fix me and make it so that I stay soft and I stay able to be molded and fashioned by the hands. We're about to sing in just a moment. This living stone, all the other stones around us, I mean the government, don't they talk smooth? A lot of other churches, the minister up there would never offend a flea. But you're walking along your path and you stumble across this stone, it's God putting it there and making you get on your knees, amen? Let him do it. Let him do it right now, today, as we get ready to finish. I'm asking you, say, Lord, you've been trying to humble me for the last several weeks. You've just embarrassed me. You've hurt me. I thought it was somebody else. I thought it was my bank. I thought it was my bank manager. I thought it was my wife. I thought it was my kids. You know what it was? It was God tripping you up and getting you to go, I'm sorry. I'm hard, I'm, I'm mean, I'm offended, and I needed to break. Amen. He'll transform you into a lively stone. Amen. But only when you respond right. Respond by believing this book. By believing the gospel. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. You know what the bad news is? That rock is going to break you. And if you don't let him break you now... It will grind you to powder in the future. You do not, Jesus said, I don't judge you. That book will judge you at the, uh, at the great white throne judgment if you're not saved. If that book can't, I mean, if, if, if the simple preaching and folks you think, you know, you're, you're tough, I'm nice. As it appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment, that won't be nice. I love you. And I appreciated having a man of God preach to me and put the fear of God in me and hurt me with the truth, not offending me on purpose. Well, I'm going after you, Craig. <laughs> That's what I thought he was. But anyway, didn't mention my name. But I needed that so that I could finally say, you win, Lord. You know, if you reject the stone, you'll only continue to stumble you'll only be more and more confounded. That's a good old word. It just means to be ruined, tripped up, deceived. And ultimately, you'll lose everything, being ground to powder. Jesus said in Matthew 21, verse 42 to 44, he says, He that cometh to the stone and falls shall be broken, not blessed. But upon whom he will not, he will not let it fall, he will be ground to powder. You don't mess with God. This is not about religion. This isn't about the priest. This isn't about the pastor. This isn't about other Christians. It's about one day you better have made peace with God. And it only happens through Jesus Christ. 